you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Our first reading is Zach said is from Matthew 11, verses 28 to 30. Come to me, all who labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And our second reading is from Hebrews 4, verses 1 to 11. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them, because they were not united by faith to those who listened. For we who have believed entered that rest, and he has said, As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage he said, They shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David, so long afterward, in the words already quoted, Today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works, as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, well, good morning. Um, my name is Mike. Uh, it's my joy to serve with Zach as one of the pastors here at City on Hill, Brisbane. Uh, hey, before, um, before we kick off um, the sermon, just a couple of well, one thing. I'm just on church camp. Um, Zach mentioned yeah, end uh, registrations are closing soon. Uh, end of the month. So that's like 11 days, I think. So get in your registration soon. Even earlier than that is so helpful um, as we plan. Like we're, we've currently actually got some external accommodation that's kind of on hold at the moment. We sort of used that last year. We're just trying to figure out whether we need that or not. Um, so it'd be really helpful. Register as soon as possible. I'm really excited for it. So a whole, whole bunch of reasons. We've got a bunch of practical workshops on parenting, on how to read the Bible, on evangelism, on hospitality, on a budget and more. A bunch of um, another few more reasons to come as well. All run by kind of lay people. Really excited for that too. Um, Peter, so, Peter, can you just put your hand up? Peter is like Captain Camp Mapleton. He's, I think he spent, like, he's add up the weeks of his life. It's like a year or something like that he spent on, on Mapleton. He knows the site by the back of, uh, back of his hand. Um, he's going to be hanging around the info desk. Um, if you've got questions about camp, about accommodation, especially meals, things like that, he would love to, um, to answer those questions. A bunch of people have sought him out this week already, and, um, and he's, uh, I think, convinced him to come. So um, go chat to him. Um, that'd be helpful. Uh, I'm going to pray. Um, so join with me 
uh, as we pray uh, before we get into this topic of work and rest and see what God has to say for us. Uh, Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. We do thank you that you have spoken and continue to speak through it by the power of your spirit. Lord, I pray that as we hear again the word this morning, would we not harden our hearts as was the case in the rebellion. But Lord, I pray that you would soften our hearts and make us more like Jesus. I pray, Father, that whatever is going on in our minds, in our heart, in our soul this morning, that the troubles perhaps of this last week, anxiety over this, the upcoming weeks, Lord, I do pray that we can sit and hear you, receive your word. Be with me. May I be clear and faithful and helpful. And above all, would you be glorified amongst us this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, this week, my four-year-old told me her career goals. She said this, I want to be a dentist, a doctor, and a firefighter. I'm like, amen. There you, there you go. She also said, I want to have five boys and five girls. So there you go. Uh, on one level, I'm like, yes, be ambitious. You go, girl. Uh, amazing. But if you, you know, kind of peel off the the childlike innocence. Um, there's an attitude there that's in our society that we, you know, we want to have it all, yeah? Uh, we want to kind of find that job, that business, kind of the picture of our life that will bring us true joy. You know, have a job that kind of helps us have this lifestyle that we want to help kick these goals. Uh, here's uh, former CEO, Yahoo, Marissa Meyer. Um, she is a little bit like my daughter's kind of ambition in, in one sense. Um, she, you know, smashed everything at school, sport, you know, was president of the Spanish club at, at you know, school, university, things like that. She studied neuroscience and changed to, you know, IT. She was teaching before she even finished her university course. How about that? Um, she was one of the employee number 20 of, of Google and then got on the ground floor. Then uh, in her 30s became CEO of one of the largest tech companies in the world, Yahoo, uh, while five months pregnant. Right? Um, and, and during that time, she uh, introduced a policy that around that everyone had to be, you know, sort of an anti kind of COVID thing. Like everyone had to actually come, this is before COVID, everyone actually had to stop working from home and actually come back to the office. She was pregnant. What happened? Well, um, she took two weeks maternity leave. And how did she do that? Well, she just built an office just next door to her office, kind of a, you know, a cry room, a baby room, so she could sort of keep working. And then after that, she got pregnant with twins and kind of did the same thing, right? And now what's happened since? Well, she started her own tech company. She's worth about a billion dollars today. Now, some of you are thinking, man, like that's stupidly unrelatable. Why did you even bring that up? Well, well, let me, let me, let me just kind of lower. The, well, let me let me change. You know, let me let me give you someone a bit more down to earth. The kind of Aussie battler story. Uh, who's heard of Laserbeam? Hey, you know, they, yeah, a couple of people. Right? He's he's um, one of Australia, I think, third largest YouTubers in Australia. Lannan Ecott, His name is. He's 28. He's a high school dropout, Central Coast bogan. Um, dropped out at 15. That, that, that are his words, right? I'm not, not being unkind to him. He actually he, he lives off that. Like that's kind of part of his story, his ethos, right? Um, he used to, um, when he dropped out of school, he used to just kind of film videos for his dad's kind of construction business, kind of demolition videos. And he had this YouTube channel. Channel wasn't really going anywhere. Someone stole his camera, and then that YouTube channel went down the toilet. And then after that, what happened then? Well, he started just doing video games. And now 20 million subscribers. His videos have been watched 9 billion times. And he's making about 10 mil a year. We live in an age where it seems like anyone, seemingly, can make it. 
You know, anyone you know, can start up their own business, become an influencer, move up rapidly. We compare ourselves all the time, maybe not always to you know, celebrities or internet celebrities, but even just with each other. Subtly, you know, the people you went to school with or uni with or in your social circles, even people at church. You know, they see the person that sort of got into the property market, you know, bought when they should have or when the market was low. Um, there were people with nicer houses, better holidays, or just seem to be enjoying their work more than us. You know, they say comparison. It's the thief of joy. We, in 2023, we're slaves to comparison. You know, you meet someone, this happens to the foyer. I do this. You know, the first question you say, what do you do with yourself? What do you do for work? From behind that, our attitude is we, we sort of like rank people. You know, how do we kind of view, how do we fit in based on what you do? We define ourselves by what we do, our profession. We change careers now more than ever because we're, we're all seeking to find that unicorn job with that perfect balance of money, of time off, of, of satisfaction. And for some of us, you know, the other cliff we fall off as well is seeing work as kind of this necessary evil that we just kind of need to do, to, but then once we get it, we clock off so we can really live. But you know what? Tomorrow, everyone's going to wake up with a disease. What's the disease? Mondayitis, right? We get diagnosed with this case, Mondayitis, we're just trying to get through we get through, you know, trying to survive hump day, Wednesday, and then, thank God, it's Friday, right? That's kind of our rhythm. And we love, don't we love a public holiday, yeah? yeah how good was this week? Eka day, great. And, you know, we're just chill. We're, one of the reasons why we're devastated about the Matildas losing is we miss out on our public holiday. Who cares? We just had Eka day. We could just give us another one. How are we as Christians, the people of God, how are we meant to think about work? Do we live to work or do we work to live? It's an important question, but I think both answers leave us unsatisfied and and miss the mark of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Now, this series, The Vine, The Trellis, and The Crow, we'll be looking at what it intentionally means to abide in Christ, to live as Christians, uh, to not drift down, as we saw last week, lift, drift down the kind of donut tube down the river. What does it mean to cling on to Jesus who's driving the jet ski? And today, as we look at this rhythm of life that we all have, of work and rest. Now, we spend at least about a third of our lives formally working, uh, and maybe close to a third of our lives, depending on who you are, sleeping. Let's start off by talking about work, right? Now, work, just to set the scene, work is a broad category. Uh, and I want to think this morning broader than just paid work. Work can be paid or unpaid. And it's a tragedy uh, when I hear the phrase, oh, I'm just a mum. As if you need something else to, to give you dig- dignity or value or worth. Uh, stay-at-home mums, uh, mums, your work is, is important. It's undervalued and of great work. Uh, I'm gonna, uh, great worth. I'm going to use this definition of work this morning. Work is using what God gives you to help promote flourishing and to bring God glory. Work is using what God gives you, time, talents, treasures, uh, people, resources, land, labor, capital, enterprise, these things, to help promote flourishing and give God glory. Uh, we're going to zoom out, see what the Bible has to say. I'm going to flick through a little bit, uh, and then we're going to zoom in and apply it to our lives. So here's the first point. 
Work and rest are good. Work and rest are good. They're good rhythms that are established by God. He establishes them not by just saying, hey, you should go and do them, but by doing them himself. If you've got a Bible, uh, please turn to Genesis chapter 1. Uh, please bring your Bibles to church if you own a Bible. Uh, if you don't own one, I'd love to give you one. We've got some at the info desk. We've got a little bit more lighting, especially down the front, which is good. So you can actually read your Bible, which is helpful. Um, but let's look at uh, Genesis chapter 1. God says right from the outset, verse 3, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day. And the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. How does God work? Well, he speaks. He speaks and stuff happens. Stuff is made. And then as you read Genesis 1, there's this pattern. God speaks, stuff happens. Then he rests. He stops. He, he, he looks back and says, it is good. This pattern continues. He creates water, land, the sky, stars, plants, sun, moon, animals. Finally. He creates the crowning glory of his creation. He creates us, people. Then he stops and says, this is very good. I keep reading Genesis 2, flick over. He says this, verse 1, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested. On the seventh day, from all his work that he had done. God works and God rests. Now, why does God rest? Like God's the, the infinite, holy, all-powerful God. Like, does he need to recharge the batteries? Is that what's going on? He can sort of go up into the heavenly ether and sort of plug himself in. Oh, is that, no, no, that's not what's happening. No, no, God rests. What's happening here? Uh, rest is, is, is taking, stepping back and saying, yes, this work is good. He's finding satisfaction in what he has done. And the commandments that will come later, uh, they, they reflect the fact that we have been created in his image. We reflect God in this rhythm of work and rest. So God works, God rests. We work and we Rest. Work is good. Work is intrinsically good. We need to hear this, right? Work is intrinsically, it's good. It's part of God's good created order before the fall, before sin enters into the world. Check out, uh, go back to Genesis chapter 1. Uh, check out from verse uh, 27. Actually, we'll go from verse 28. And God blessed them, that, that's male and female, and God said to them, here's some work to do, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on in the earth. God says to Adam and Eve, I'm going to give you guys a job to do. Here's some responsibility. Not just a task, but actually a purpose, a significant role, a vocation, a calling, to rule and look after the world under my authority. So, you know, the first thing that you know, God says is, you know, it's good, right? Be fruitful. You know, like that's the first command. You know, make love, have children. It's part of God's good plan. And, and, and more than that, we're called to actually look after the world like God looks after us. 
We're called to steward the world with the resources that God has given us. We've been included into this purpose. We have this responsibility. For Adam and Eve, it was given in a context before sin. Uh, they could do it in perfect flourishing. They could freely you know, eat fruit and nuts and things like that from the garden. Uh, they could produce abundantly, look after their animals, that fear of you know, being attacked. Uh, and God was with them. We read in Genesis 2, he's walking with them in the garden. God is a God of, of order. Uh, out of chaos, he orders things. He makes things good. And our work, too, is to reflect that. As we reflect his image, to seek loving others and giving him glory. Let's just stop and think for a moment about our own work, or perhaps um, maybe the future work we aspire to do. Uh, think about some different jobs. I'll give you like an obvious one. If you're a farmer, um, you know, you turn seeds into food that people can eat, right? What you're doing, you're, you're kind of rearranging raw material so that others can flourish. I'll give you one a little bit more complex. Maybe you're a muso, right? Music. Well, how do they do this? Well, what are they, they're rearranging sound so that others can flourish. They make music so people can enjoy, that they can receive. Maybe they can sing at a church, things like that. You're an engineer, uh, you design things, building roads, structures, processes, products to serve others so that others can consume them and, and flourish or, or help other businesses uh, get, achieve their goals so others can flourish. Whether you're an accountant, I've got a few accountants here, uh, your job's not boring, no, it's amazing, right? You're, you're turning numbers into information, you're helping businesses make decisions, you're helping people steward resources well, sort of reflecting that what God uh, has called us to do. You're retired. You're using what God has given you. Maybe you don't feel like it's much, but using the time, the wisdom, the experience, the money, whatever strength God has in you to help others flourish. Now, of course, we're not all going to change the world in huge, significant ways, but we're all called to be faithful in what God has given us. Think about your own job, your own calling, your own work. How do you fit into this? How could you tell your story in terms of helping others flourish? I used to work in enterprise software sales. I used to sell this thing called middleware. Hands up who knows what middleware is. Yeah, three people. Like I, I barely knew what it was when I was there. But, but what it is, it's complex, right? Complex software that helps other applications talk to each other, things like that. But um, I had to do this myself. I'm like, I got to you know, this job. I'm like, what am I even doing um, you know, sales organization, you know, commission, things like that. Like, like, how do I process what I'm doing? And I had to think hard about this, I had to work hard about this. But I, I, I concluded that hey, what I was doing, I was bringing about some efficiency for other organizations, reducing overheads. Um, and so trying to sell where there's actually a need, not just, you know, pushing products so that other organizations could be fruitful. And I had to keep reminding myself that, um, you know, it's not about the money that I'm going to be receiving. That was a, a temptation at times, but I'm just trying to help others flourish. This question that, um, that we often ask ourselves, you know, what does God want from me in my life? You know, what should I even do with my life? We get paralyzed by it, I think, overwhelmed sometimes. You know, what if we get this wrong? What if we sort of somehow stray from God's path that he's lit up for us? Well, church, you actually have loads of freedom when it comes to work. You have lots of freedom when it comes to work. Um, if what you do helps people flourish, brings glory to God, great. Keep doing it. 
keep doing it. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Church, you can give God glory in a whole bunch of different fields. Keep working hard, thinking about your own story. Um, as I decide, we're going to be having a faith and work seminar on um, a church camp. Come along to that. Uh, we're going to be looking at work in Proverbs next term as well as one of the topics. So I'm not going to exhaust this right now. Whatever you do, give glory to God. Love this, um, love this quote uh, from Abraham Kuyper. He says, There is not a square inch in the whole domain of, our, whole, of hum, our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, Mine. Yeah, Christ, he, he's, he's Lord. And so whatever we do, even in the mundane, yeah, laying brick by brick, spreadsheet, you know, cell of the spreadsheet by cell of the spreadsheet, it all belongs to Christ. You can be a teacher, a lawyer, a tradie, a consultant, a stay-at-home parent. It's all to the glory of God. Work is good, and yet there's some bad news. Work is hard. Work and rest have been corrupted. That's my second point. Work and rest have been corrupted. As we turn, uh, turn to Genesis chapter 3, work has been corrupted by the fall. You know, Adam and Eve, they, they fail at this first job that they've been given by God, uh, but they don't get fired, actually. You notice that? They don't actually get fired from their job, but working conditions are now significantly different. Uh, look at verse number 17. Um, this is what God says to Adam, because you've listened to the voice of your, of your wife and eaten of the tree which I've commanded you, you shall not eat it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you are taken, you are dust and to dust you shall return. This is the curse. The curse that's corrupting work. The effects of sin, work which previously was easy, without toil, without sweat, without hardship, full of joy, now becomes not a blessing, but it's now a burden. You know, we can't just live off the land easily. It's hard. We sweat physically. Also proverbially, thorns and thistles. There's broken relationships full um, everywhere. I'm going to show you a quick, very complex, very complex diagram I spent ages on uh, making during the week. Uh, this is what happens in the fall, right? There's relationships that are broken. You know? What happened now is, so humanity, this is pre-fall, right? Um, we're together, Adam and Eve together, perfect relationship with God, perfect relationship with creation. Things are good. What happens? Next slide. Divide, right? <laughs> Very fancy, right? That's, uh, I worked for an IT organization. That's why I'm able to be so technical with that. But what happens, right? There's a severing, a severing of relationships between us and God. We don't have this perfect, unfettered relationship with God. With ourselves, we're divided. Uh, there's division within humanity. And with creation itself is broken. And our relationship with creation is broken as well. It's hard. This plays out all the time in the workplace. There's conflict gossiping, division in the workplace. You know, there's managers that, that are dodgy, you know, trying to cut corners, trying to you know, pay cash to avoid tax, things like that. Clients or deadlines that are unreasonable. 
Advertising that's deceptive. Software that just doesn't work. Weather that just affects everything. A global pandemic that stuffs up supply lines. We're still waiting on that part for this house to be built. You know, inflation on just about everything. And um, all this stuff, right, comes from the fall. Challenges because there's a broken relationship with each other, with God and creation. Uh, Tim Keller uh, says that there's, the late pastor Tim Keller, he says there's, there's four particular challenges that, that we in our context face to do with work. Uh, he says firstly that job security, um, job, job security has never been less secure. Job security has never been less secure. You know, with redundancy, with changing work conditions, um, you can like, lose your job in, in ways far more easily than ever before. Uh, secondly, he talks about entrepreneurial inequality. You know, previously, um, you know, the, the kind of someone who headed a business versus the employee, maybe there was like a 10 to 1 you know, salary kind of ratio. Now it's like 50, 100 to 1. People at the top of organizations are making so much. There's so much more inequality um, between uh, business owners, like especially large business owners and employees than ever before. I won't talk about recent big bank profits, but if you've read the news, you've seen about that. Yeah, interest rates keep, seem to keep rising. Not sure about that. Um, technology. Thirdly, he says this, you know, you can work... Anywhere now, a lot of us, so that means we work everywhere. Now, working from home, in lots of ways, it is a blessing, but it's also a curse. And many of us, we're, we're always on, on our devices. And even for us, that those that do have a defined space of work, um, technology allows us to co- sort of keep chipping away at things. You know, even if it's not our, our main job, we can keep ticking away at our side hustles, our side projects, or even just life admin means we don't switch off. means we don't sleep well. And fourthly, he says, and I think this is perhaps the most significant, meaning and satisfaction. You know, traditional cultures, uh, they got purpose uh, from, from family. Uh, but now today, we're the first culture in history that really says you define yourself by what your job. Uh, it's a lot of pressure, a lot of burden to carry. Social, emotional, psychological pressure. You know, we're, we're looking around and there's so many options out there. More options than ever before. And we're trying to find not just a, a steady job for our family, but we're trying to find self-actualization through this work. Uh, there's a New York writer called Judith Shulevich. She's written a book called The Sabbath World, Glimpses of a, of a Different Order of Time. She's got a Jewish background. She's not a Christian, but I think she nails something of this culture. And she talks about um, her rest, her experience of, of trying to switch off. She says this, that you know, on the weekend, my mood would darken. Until by Saturday afternoon, I'd be unresponsive and morose. My normal routine on the weekend is involve brunch with friends and swapping tales of misadventure in the relentless quest for romance, professional success. And it made me impossibly restless. I started spending Saturdays by myself. After a while, I got lonely and did something that, as a teenager, profoundly put off by her religious education, I could never imagine wanting to do. I began dropping in on a nearby synagogue. It was only much later that I developed a theory about my condition. I was suffering from the lack of a Sabbath. There's ample evidence that our relationship to work is out of whack. Ours is a society that pegs status to overachievement. We can't help admiring workaholics. Let me argue instead, on behalf of an institution that has kept workaholism, workaholism in reasonable check, for thousands of years. She's writing you know, from a secular point of view, New York writer, 
And she says that society, we need to get back to this idea of the Sabbath. Now, because of this hyper-connective culture we live in, rest is never more important than it is for us today. We need to go back to this ancient practice of the Sabbath. Now, if she gets it, how much more do we as the people of God, we need to heed these words. What is the Sabbath? Uh, Back in Exodus 20, God's um, outlining the Ten Commandments. And he says this in Exodus 20 to, to Moses, um, to be the people of God in Israel. He says this, that remember the Sabbath day. Keep it holy. Six days you shall labor, do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant, your female servant, your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and the sea and all that's in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. God, he's established this pattern of work and rest based on who he is, as we've seen, how he made the world. And the Sabbath was this sign, this sign of the covenant between Israel and God, between God and his people, of living differently, of living the life that he'd called them to, that they were devoted to God. And and the Sabbath was a way of showing dependence and trust in him. Remember, we looked at this in Joshua in the wilderness, uh, when God's people were, kind of, uh, were reliant entirely on, on God for, for their provision. You remember the manna and the quail that would sort of fall from heaven. Uh, God said to the people, only six days, you know, go get some food. On the sixth day, get double portion. Um, don't, don't go out and get food on the seventh day. And those that did, well, it didn't end well for them. People did, and they died. Numbers, Leviticus talk in particular about the bunch of laws around the Sabbath. Now, what happened, though? There's some rules, there's some parameters around the Sabbath, and then people kept adding more and more rules around the Sabbath. You know, more and more fences. The Pharisees uh, wanted to be so uh, pure and wanted to make sure they didn't kind of cross any lines. They added extra rules. And so they were more concerned about the rules than actually about the intention with which it was set up. And so the question for us, like you might be thinking this as soon as I drop, you know, the S-bomb Sabbath, like does this apply to us today? Like aren't we kind of New Testament people? Aren't we like freed from it? Hey, great question you're asking. I don't have time to fully unpack it today. But one thing is clear, it doesn't apply to us in the same way that it did for Israel. Uh, We live, we're New Covenant people. Uh, We don't live under the Old Covenant, all these laws that have been added around the Sabbath. uh, They don't apply to us, we're people of grace. We're saved by grace through Jesus. Paul says in Colossians, he says, Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These things, these are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Heaps I could say about there, but We're not to be judged, more or less, by how we do we or don't we observe the Sabbath. What does that look like for us? We're not under this complex um, Sabbath rule. But we are the people of God. We've been made for work, this rhythm of work, this rhythm of rest. And we need it. We need rest. Not just sleep. Sleep's important. Uh, And not just inactivity. But Sabbath as a devotion to God. It's not just good for our body, but for our soul. 
Tim Keller again, he says this, that Sabbath is more about, sorry, more about the external rest, more than about the external rest of the body. It's about inner rest of the soul. We should rest from the anxiety and strain of our overwork, which is a reality, which is really an attempt to justify ourselves, to gain the money or the status or the reputation we think we have to have. Resting, intentional time, you know, being a Sabbath, it, it reminds us to be dependent not on ourselves, but on the Lord. I don't know, some of us here, we, we have a tendency to, to underwork, or maybe procrastinate, um, maybe avoid some responsibility. But perhaps many of us, maybe the majority, we, we, we tend to overwork. Um, maybe we feel we need to do more uh, for our boss, but perhaps likely it's for ourselves, uh, for our own sense of satisfaction. The Sabbath gives us a framework and boundaries to be able to say no. And it gives us a rhythm and space to stop and remember God. Again, Judith Shulovich, she, she says that most people mistakenly believe that, that all you have to do is to stop working. Sorry, all you have to do to stop working is not work. The inventors of the Sabbath understood that it was a much more complicated undertaking. You cannot downshift casually and easily. That's why the Puritan and Jewish Sabbaths were so exactingly intentional. Their rules did not exist to torture the faithful. They meant to communicate the insight that interrupting the ceaseless round of striving requires a surprisingly strenuous act of will, one that has to be bolstered by habit as well by social sanction. What she's saying there, well, it's not just rest, Sabbath, it's not just about kind of stopping and suddenly it's all good. There's actually intentionality behind it. We need to work to create space so that we can rest. It's more than just inactivity. It's being devoted to God. Do you have time each week where you devote to Him? Well, you're here this morning, so well done. You do, actually. Uh, you've already got a rhythm of coming and being with the Lord's people, worshipping God. Um, we do church on Sunday, not just because we have to, right? We've got freedom. We could do it on other days. But there's a helpfulness uh, in making it today because that's a day when most of us have time off. We come together to people for, for worship, uh, for community, um, to give glory to God. So there's a helpfulness in thinking about your week and sort of making Sunday uh, or time around Sunday as, as a bit of a Sabbath, as a time where we actually rest and intentionally seek God. Some of us, like myself, we have to work on Sunday, so it can be harder uh, for us to do that. But I encourage you to avoid it uh, if you can. Now, not all of us can, but I encourage you to do that. But you know, maybe as you think about your week, you've, you, you haven't read your Bible this week. You haven't really prayed. We all have those weeks. The Sabbath is not a chance to kind of just catch up, you know, do seven days of, of your Bible reading plan in a, in a day. I mean, you can do that, but that's not what the purpose of the Sabbath is. It's about having a rhythm, a discipline of space that we can bank on to be with God. The thing that um, just really shaped uh, about 10 years ago uh, of how I thought about rest, a simple, like I should have got it earlier, but the word recreation. Now, if you break, out, break down this word recreation, it's, what is it, re-creation, re-creation. Um, now, we, we work, right? We rest, sorry, that we can recreate. God's given us this rhythm of work and rest. And so recreation, recreation is about doing things that help us then go again, to create, to work. What are the things that help you work again? 
What are the ways in which you become refreshed for that week of work as God intended? Think about our own lives. What are those things? Maybe it's a hobby. Maybe it's spending time outside, listening to, to worship music. You've got to be realistic with your, your, you know, your, your days. And a lot of us have got young kids. I've got, I've got three young kids. They're all sick at the moment. You know, my, a day off is not going to be, you know, just, all right, see, see you guys. I'm just going to go to Mount Barney for the day. Like, it, you can't always do that every week, right? You can't just do what you love all the time and just call it rest and sort of sanctify, spiritualize it. No, you've got to kind of be realistic with what God has given you. But be intentional about what actually helps you go again. And Sabbath, it's not just about isolation. You know, some of you are thinking, oh, great, you know, introverts paradise. I can just go on. No, and actually, I get some of us are introverted. Right? You know, a lot of you are different to me, and that's great. It's a blessing. Um, but who are the people, even if you're introverted, who are the people in your life that help you recharge? How do we, as the people of God, keep on, as you know, Joel was talking about church camp, uh, how do we keep on deepening our friendships, our relationships? They move beyond the, the superficial. You know, how's your week? How's work? How's the Matildas? Great. Yep, tick. How do we go and be, take off the mask and be real so that when we spend time with people, they're actually, they're actually helping us breathe again. They're helping us recharge. They're, they're in our corner. You know, from how you're doing to how are you really doing. Church, I see this happening everywhere. So many of you guys are doing that well. So keep going. Keep using our time and our time off uh, to recharge, uh, to, to worship God, uh, and to build each other up. Now finally, last point. Here's some good news. We can rest in Christ's finished work. We can rest in Christ's finished work. Turn with me to Matthew 11. This was read by Joel earlier. Jesus said these amazing words in Matthew chapter 11. He says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle. And lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Church, brother, sister, Jesus offers you rest this morning. Are you feeling burdened, weary, anxious, frustrated, overworked, undervalued, uncertain? Jesus says, come to me and I'll give you rest. I'm with you. Draw near to me. Put your trust in me. I've lived the life that you don't have to. And I'm with you now. He also says in verse 29, learn from me. Learn from me. That's what we're on about as a church, to keep knowing Jesus. We draw to him. We draw near to him. We see who he is in the pages of Scripture. And he says he's gentle and lowly. And what's that all about? Meekness, which is not about kind of um, feebleness or, or not being strong. No, it actually literally means strength under control. Jesus is powerful. You know, he upholds the universe, right? He's going to judge the nations. And yet he also washed his disciples' feet. He was the king and yet he died for us. Jesus says, come to me for rest. 
What's this rest? What's he offering? It's not a back massage. It's not a kind of a lounge chair with an umbrella stroll. It's not a good night's sleep. Pray for those things. They're not bad things. But what's he offering? He says, rest for your souls. He's not saying that life is going to be cruisy, but he's with us all the way. But ultimately, our soul, our souls are secure in him. It's good news. As we wrap up, turn to Hebrews chapter 4. The writer of Hebrews, he unpacks this further, uh, this idea of rest that Joel read for us earlier. Hebrews chapter 4. Now what's happening here? Um, well, he's talking about Joshua going to the promised land, and that's described as rest. You know, Remember, they're in the wilderness. They get to Israel finally. You can stop camping and you can live off the land that I promised you. Um, but it's only partially fulfilled. There's actually something way better for the people of God. He says in verse 8, For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. It's a shadow pointing towards a greater rest, a much greater rest. What's he talking about? Rest for our souls. The new and better promised land, which is, of course, heaven. Stop and pause for a second, right? I want everyone here uh, to close their eyes. Close your eyes. Now, some of you, it's the end of the sermon. You've already done that. So great. Well done. Well, but just close your eyes. Close your eyes. And what I want you to do now is to picture, try and picture heaven. This idea of eternal rest. No more pain. No more suffering. No more hard days at work. No more Groundhog Day with the kids. No more anxiety, job insecurity, FOMO, struggling to make ends meet. It's this place of paradise, abundance, peace with God and his people. Just try and picture that for a moment. All right, everyone wake up. Now, work, right? Is work going to stop in heaven? Well, I actually think not. I actually think work is a, is a gift from pre-fall. And actually, I think we're, we're going to be working in heaven, but it's going to be completely different, right? Some jobs, I think, will be made redundant. Um, like Zach's kind of preaching. <laughs> yeah, you can pray. Maybe if you laugh, maybe it's your job. Maybe that's a blessing. Um, but sure, things are going to change, but there's going to be feasting. There's going to be delight. There's going to be music. There's going to be banquets. There's going to be partying. There's going to be, I'm sure there's going to be, you know, organizing bush walks and surfing trips. And camp, like, there's going to be incredible things, making art and music. This is, you know, one of this is all work. It's going to be good. I don't have time to unpack that, uh, what that looks like, to chat to you more. I think we're looking at kind of heaven next week and a bit more. So, um, you know, Zach, I'm sure, will explain all things, of course. Um, but back, in, <laughs> back, in, um, back in Hebrews, though. Keep reading Hebrews 4. Um, the writer says, verse 9, So there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. If you're a Christian, it means who you are is one who has already rested. You've rested in God's work. You've rested in the one who lived the life that you couldn't. Died the death that we deserve in our place. You've rested in Jesus. Jesus, three impactful years of ministry. The last words he said on the cross, it is finished. Nothing more needed to be done when he died. Nothing can be added to our account. 
Nothing can help us you know, get in God's good books more. Uh, nothing can be done you know, as a project to improve us before God. We are spotless, blameless, and righteous before Him. Brother, sister, you don't need to prove yourself before God. It is finished. When I became a Christian, and, and you know, this story that tell it's, I've heard this from a bunch of you guys, quite a common experience. Uh, when I became a Christian, I felt like I was you know, walking around with these heavy weights on my shoulders. But when I trusted in Jesus, it's like they were gone. I could walk around lighter because Jesus had taken my burden. I didn't need to prove myself before others because I had satisfaction in the one who did everything for me. I had his approval because of Jesus. This picture, as I invite the band up, uh, this picture of rest, of taking a burden, it's the picture of the gospel. We have true rest in Jesus. That's what's on offer for you. So how then do we think about work and rest? We're made for this pattern of work and rest with God and his people. It's going to go on forever. Yes, it's hard. So hard in so many ways. It's been corrupted. But we rest in Christ's finished work. Now let, me, uh, let me finish with these lyrics from a song that I love singing. I sang it in the car this morning. It's called It Is Finished uh, by the Modern Post. It says this, It is finished. He has done it. Let your weary heart rejoice. Our redemption is accomplished. Raise a shout with ragged voice. And so, grave, so go bravely into battle, knowing that he has won the war. It is finished. Lift your head and weep no more. Let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that it is finished. We thank you that we can rest, not on our own accomplishments or future goals, ambitions, but we rest in what has already been achieved. Lord, I pray that as we, we navigate this, this complex and forever changing world, would you help us think, take a step back and think about why. Think about why we're doing what we're doing and ultimately who we're doing it for, you. And Lord, I pray that as many of us go to work tomorrow morning, Lord, I pray that as we approach our weeks, that we can be refreshed, knowing, Jesus, that you have carried our burdens, that you are there with us. Help us as the people of God navigate this stuff together. And Lord, we praise you that one day, forever, we will rest with you because we have rest for our souls. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.